people might think that um, I want to talk about Niners for myself or for the local audience, but really it's for Anthony Mays. I mean, he's, oh. he's the guy who's excited that you're here and uh, Thank you, about what we're talking about. That's who I do it for. He's very, <laughs> very excited. Is that a ring? That's the ring right there. So my dad ran into Eddie DeBartolo in the nineties at an airport. And my dad is not a sports fan, <laughs> but he knows who Eddie DeBartolo is. So he was like, Hey, my son's a huge Niners fan. And Eddie took his address down, sent us this, sent us a team photo for like the 96 team. And I think some other stuff and yeah, just an overall great dude. And that's why I'm so glad that we're in the hands of his Kendall Roy esque nephew. (laughs) His odd, is it, I don't want to be mean. I mean, I know I might be odd looking, but I find, I find, I find the Kendall Roy figure to be odd looking. Can, can Guy even talk about that? I don't know. Is that Kendall kind of a Roy? relationship? Well, not Kendall Roy, who is also oh, odd Jed? looking. Yes, Jed. Jed, the one, uh, Jed of French Laundry, Tim Kawakami fame. Um, just has, uh, you know, I was reminded of that when they won the, the NFC Championship. Oh, that story. I know. I asked Tim about it not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had not thought that before. He didn't give a great speech. I'll say that. No, no. I was ready for him to pass the mic. Yeah, but you know what? I'll say this for him. I will say this for the Yorks. Remember, they were getting crushed for moving the team to Santa Clara back in the day. Yeah. Um, And I probably would have crushed them as well. It's like, come on, it's the San Francisco 49ers. This is insane. You're moving all the way to the South Bay. Now everybody wants to move a team to the suburbs. With the way things have gone, work from home, uh, it seems like it's just difficult right now to have order in San Francisco. Nobody blames them for that decision now. That just seems like, no, they actually made the right move. And really the first, the the original complaint was if we broke it into a pie chart, it was probably like 50% people just hated the parking and the traffic, right? Mm. Which was partly based on where they went, but Candlestick was no cake getting in and out of there. No, nothing like no. the Coliseum. The egress, ingress, egress at the Coliseum was always. Oh, but here's I mean, what I'll say that, about the post game. There is no every post game trophy presentation is awkward. I get yes. I, I get physically uncomfortable every time when like, all right, here's the CEO of Tostitos and they got to like remember six names or the the Ford. Remember the Ford guy who gave Bumgarner a pickup truck technology, <laughs> technology and stuff. <laughs> Remember, that was his thing, like the F-150 has technology and stuff. It's a weird one because you're very happy to have won, but there's still one more job that's bigger. So everybody has to modulate how happy they are. It's a strange kind of liminal zone of happiness that you have to perform. So it is always awkward. You just have to thank the fans. Do it again. Do it again. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars. Winners hang with winners. It's all about Guy Haberman on House of Strauss. Ladies and gentlemen, Guy, I do not even know how to introduce you. You have done play-by-play, and I'm looking up. I mean, I'm now aware of the fact that I'm aware of 1% of the jobs you've had uh, as I've done my research. It seems like you have (laughs) announced announced 
everything and anything. And you have this amazing YouTube presence, which I mean, a lot of people who do play by play, do broadcasting, they stick to that. I feel like you're a very forward thinking kind of guy who, uh, yeah, pardon the pun, ha ha ha, who makes content on YouTube and has really grown on there. And it's just, we should have done this a long time ago, but I'm happy to have you here, man. It's great to be here. I've, uh, uh, I have a lot of admiration for what you've done before you broke away on your own. And even, you know, I, I've got your book. I was just looking last night. I read books all over the place. Sometimes it's the physical. Sometimes I've li- I mostly listen now, but I got the iPad and I was going through all the bookmarks of all the things I highlighted. Oh. And I'd say one of the most quoted things that I quote <clears throat> is your passage from the book when Bruce, I think Bruce Frazier told you he was uh, coaching like in oh, Japan yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how most people you coach can't play in the gray. Mm-hmm. And Draymond told you his favorite his favorite play is no play, but I think that yeah. Bruce Frazier insight is like it applies to so much stuff. You know, can you play in the gray, uh, which is what the NBA players do. So anyway, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm so you're on YouTube so ha- now, by the way. I'm I'm trying. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your tips. But um, I remember when Frazier told me that I was at some sort of shoot around, and it was he was almost just mystified. He was he was looking back on his past experiences and how. In Japan, the guys would run the play to a T, but in basketball, it's not completely on script. And so it was just a situation where there wasn't that improvisation or that confidence to carry it out and continue. And as you say, play in the gray. And that's just what so much of so much of sports is. And then the Draymond thing, I remember that that was a, a practice in Charlotte. And now I'm getting very nostalgic. You know what I'm remembering, guy? Mm. I'm remembering us many years ago at the Tilted Kilt in the wintertime in Cleveland. Do you remember? I do. do. you remember that? You remember was, that? With I remember. Yeah, because Draymond, that was the game that Draymond got uh, dunked on by Richard Jefferson. And, and mm-hmm. th- that game was in Cleveland. It was Christmas Day in Cleveland. It was the KD year. Uh, Katie's first year with the team. And I was traveling with the team because I had filled in with Tim Roy for a couple games. So I was doing a couple games on radio. And that game, I remember Draymond getting, the crowd really wanted him to get a technical in Cleveland. <laughs> and he went running all the way down the court and the place was just going bananas, you know? And it was just such a great example of what what big person, what like bad guys and good guys, you know, the simple mm. storylines of Western movies do for sports. I also remember how loud the classic music was on the concourse in that Mm -hmm. arena, but that tilted kilt, that must've been the night. Was that the night before Christmas? It was sadder. It it was sadder. It was an NFL Sunday in the daytime. Okay. That's right. That's right. For those who don't know, the tilted kilt is a little bit like a Hooters. Yeah. But with a bit of a I didn't know before we walked in. I did not either. I had no idea. (laughs) It was all Slater. Slater's choice. Um, <laughs> drinking his Moscow mules, rooting for the Dolphins. Yep. It, it, it's a bit of um, a Hooters with like a, a Catholic schoolgirl aesthetic, but it's not like anybody is really that into it. The waitresses don't seem to be that into it. It's wintertime in Cleveland. Nobody's that into it. It was just one of these odd... Just the way you explore America when you're following an NBA team around in the wintertime is quite eye-opening. You you see just a lot of nooks and crannies of the country, and that was one of them. I remember being empty. Pretty empty. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember being pretty empty? Or do you yeah, remember, I, was it, 
it was empty. I felt empty. Uh, <laughs> I think we commented at the time. This is sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is sad. I felt that way about the casino that they have built around that arena in Cleveland. Because it's one time to go. It's one thing to go there in the summertime, and there's a little bit of a vibe. The mayflies are buzzing around, trying to get into your mouth and ears, and that's not so great. But um, the winter time in Cleveland. No offense to Clevelanders, but it's just there, there's no reason to be there, but for the reason we're there is what it feels like. Yeah. And a lot of NBA cities are kind of like that. They're just very different places in the wintertime versus in the summertime. Memphis, Memphis is just one of these places where if you go there in May, oh, it's a party. There's outdoor music, uh, the barbecue. If you're in Memphis in January, it's just who would be here and why <laughs> this is not a place you would be. How's she? I, I was just in Chicago last year during the summer and I thought mm. this is one of the greatest places on earth. Yeah. Um, but I'd never been, you know, I've never been there in a winter. Have you been, what, how's Chicago in the winter? Still um, alive? It's funny. Bill Simmons is doing these walking, talking, uh, little snippets, which I think is a really good idea. And he was doing one from Chicago and saying, Hey, let's build up Chicago's reputation as a place to visit in the winter, you know, Chicago in February, look at this city. It's so cool. I think he was on the Chicago river. Um, I'd say it's an impressive looking city, regardless of time of year. It's just painful. The, yeah. the weather is painful in Chicago, but architecturally, is the, did I just say that weird? Architecturally, architecturally, uh, if I could the say context it, of the architecture, like, the context of the architecture. Yes. Um, no, it's beautiful. It's yeah. big. It feels, it still uh, works. It works. Chicago yeah. works. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, I, I would not, there are cities, if I'm just being totally honest, when I was on the road where I would be excited to get there and there are cities where I was very much not looking forward to it. And, so if you're going to be offended by this, if you're one from one of these places, just know that I have a very skewed context. I rolled through your city in the wintertime, going from airport to arena to hotel and back. And some cities I really hated going to. Memphis, I really hated going. I just, it, there was nothing for me there in the wintertime. It was okay in the summertime. It was also difficult to get to. Uh, Salt Lake City, to me, was the most underrated. Just beautiful city, ease of use. Shout out Mormon Denver. I, I like Salt Lake City. Yeah, I love Salt. I'm a big Salt Lake City fan. Ah, I'm going okay. this weekend. So I'm, really? But for why? Skiing? Is that basketball game. Basketball, oh, college basketball how, game. How do you do so much? Okay, well, we'll keep it Niners. What are we even doing? We're talking about the weather. We're talking about cities. This I is love what I the, like. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I heard your last pod, and there was a debate about whether you should go to a, a microphone that you don't hold. <laughs> not only do i like you holding the microphone <laughs> but i love that every i went through all the videos every video the mic has like a different dent in it it's not it's like it's it's like sinking into itself but then it grows back yeah. somehow so i i say keep keep the look <laughs> that's just the force of my aura is denting the microphone and making it reconfigure itself <laughs> the like the villain so from the terminator um that's what's going on that or i'm just constantly toting it around my backpack because i'm often narrating my own articles and i'm just keeping the mic on me wherever i go i should maybe oh, okay. buy another mic um yeah where was i where, oh, sorry where, 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 start the no, show keep interrupting i like this by the i like this from your live streams of middle cough where you guys just get on something random for whatever reason, when you start talking about 
are women watching the NFL? I was like, oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. I just want to know where this take is going, what they're going to say. And you never know what people want from you. So we're going to do the expected thing. And we're going to talk Niners. And we're going to talk Super Bowl. We're going to talk football. But it could go a variety of directions. But let's start here with the expected, with the predictable. I will present this to you, Guy. Um, Chiefs, Niners, Super Bowl, uh, Chiefs plus two. I am surprised by that number. Uh, I know that that's not a perfect reflection of the odds. There's some, oh, where's the public money? What can they get the most betting action on? But I'm surprised. I look at it, I go, okay, the Chiefs defense looks really good. The Niners defense looking really not good. Uh, Greatest of all time quarterback, done it before. Are, are you surprised by the line and that the Niners are a slight favorite? It's odd to me. Yeah, I am. Um, now, I also think if you had not watched the 49ers play the last two weeks, and I'd said to you at the end of the regular season, the Niners and Chiefs will meet in the Super Bowl, who will be favored? You would point. not have been surprised by the Niners plus two. Now, no. I've talked for two months about what it would be like to see the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And two months ago, I think, people would have said like, oh, I, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And when once it became clear, like in the last three weeks of the season, that if they were going to go to the Super Bowl, they were going to have to win a bunch of games on the road. It became clear that if they got to the Super Bowl, they'd look like a different version of themselves. Yeah. And this was about as good as it could have gone for them, right? They play Miami. They beat Miami. No, no biggie. Then they go to Buffalo and Baltimore. And I just didn't understand two weeks of, oh, they can't win in Baltimore. I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Because, and I think we saw why it didn't make any sense. Andy Reid is a superior coach, the Todd Monken, the Ravens offensive coordinator, and the quarterback is as good as it gets. Like one of the yeah. storylines coming up in the next week and a half is going to be, or already is, if Mahomes wins his third Super Bowl, how close is he to being the greatest quarterback of all time, right? Like, mm. what does it take for him to get to Brady? Because now he ties, he would tie Aikman. He'd be one shy of Montana and Bradshaw. So he'd be, he'd be on a pretty good pace. Um, so like for those reasons, I, I don't think if you go back and scrub your brain of the thing we've wanted the 49ers to do, which is like win dirty, win gritty, win ugly, mm. it's generally not what they do. They win in a style yeah. that makes you think they're going to, they should be favored by two. So from that context, it's, it's not surprising, but you, me and 59 million other people did watch the Niners. Yeah, last week. yeah, we did. And, and, you know, from that perspective, it's, but I also think, you know, they're, you know, they're what you said about their defense. Every team is Niners have more all pros than anybody and they still have holes. So everybody is flawed. The chiefs are, no one's, no team, the teams are not perfect, especially in the NFL mm. for the most part. So, uh, you know, yeah, their defense isn't great or as good as we thought they were third in the league in points. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean who the Chiefs yeah, guys are. Yeah, it's it's a fair point. I guess maybe I just misread the public or I misread the consensus because there's just been more doubt, um, it seems, of late with the 49ers, especially centered on that quarterback, the content machine that we're all the, the the content trough we're all drinking from Your muse. Brock Purdy. <laughs> My muse, Brock Purdy, and the muse of so many lovers and haters like although i will say i feel here's a take on brock purdy i feel like the defenders of brock purdy by and large are more reasonable 
than the haters of Brock Purdy. With one exception, working for my former publication who works hard and does a really good functional job and sometimes will provoke more hate by being hyperbolic. I can leave that to uh, people's imagination. Also crushing it on YouTube, incidentally, uh, this particular guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Um, yeah, it is funny where I'll, I'll make some sort of argument. I'll go, yeah, I think he's, you know, five to 10, you know, top quarterback, like five to 10. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, you love him. And it's just, well, he is the quarterback of the top passing offense by far. I mean, it, it is very strange. I can't remember a moment like this where the quarterback of the top passing offense has this, this just odd question hanging over him of, is he good at all? It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen's been in the league for more than six years, and we spent a lot of this season debating him. And he is clearly, mm -hmm. by so many metrics, an elite quarterback, right? So uh, for the people that are are tired of defending Brock, because right, that's part of the that's the group you're talking about, and I do find the Brock evangelicals can be. Uh, mm. as crazy as crazy as the Brock haters, I think, uh -huh. because I, okay. I think if we, if we traced back the argument and said, where, who started this? Like, why mm. is this argument? What it is? I think it starts with, with the evangelicals, not the haters. I think Interesting. that's, I think it starts with, with people reacting to people saying, all you gotta do is look at the numbers. This guy's great. Mm. Like, I think that's where this, starts because everybody was he was drafted last so there were no there mm. were everybody was the haters to start right and then they <laughs> broke away and the new group became the evangelicals and then i i think they're the they lobbed the first bomb i think Interesting. because because if the first group of people had said god this is you know this is what shanahan does this is like garoppolo level efficiency i don't know how great he could be but at minimum this is a high level quarterback i don't think you get as much hate so I, I hmm. think the first bomb came from actually the extreme pro purdies, not the extreme anti purdies. Or did what happen is that the statistical output was provocative. Just the, the stats themselves were provocative because they were so against expectations. Uh, eight and O as a starter, as Mays adds, where uh, it felt to quote the Joker, to paraphrase the Joker about when everything goes according to plan, no matter how bad the plan is, it's fine. Uh, the last pick of the draft throwing a few picks and looking terrible, then that's fine because it's according to plan. But, you know, when he goes 8-0 as a starter with the best QBR, people, everybody loses their mind. You know, that sort of thing where that was what was fascinating to me about it was that the production of Purdy almost inspired this brain breaking reaction. I don't know if it was the evangelicals or the haters or who started it, but it was an odd insight into how the NFL is assessed and analyzed where there became this almost obsessive, okay, how do we find the disqualifying moment? How do we find the disqualifying description? Because it's going to regress to the mean. It has to regress to the mean. This just cannot be, it can't be, um, which was fascinating for me to watch, Guy, because I'm not really a draft head. I didn't watch Purdy in college, so I had no context of what he could or couldn't be. And every Sunday, I would just go, no, oh, it's pretty good. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. He's making plays. He yeah. looks good to me. You know, I don't understand this whole conversation about him. It was it was a very unspecified conversation a lot of the time, too, where it's just, oh, you can't. Like Stephen Ruiz of the rigor, like, I will quit if he makes a Super Bowl. And I'm just, I don't understand exactly what the flaw is. Well, I think you have to start with what's the greatest trait. And the greatest trait is unseen, right? The greatest trait is is processing power, right? Yeah. You cannot play at his size and physical uh, gifts, if you will, without with with less than elite ability to understand what you're seeing and anticipate. We're talking about anticipating where people are going to be, what they're going to do, where they're supposed to be, and you know, and then being accurate enough to do it. I think. Think about any time there you interview like the dad, a coach, something of a great player. They always get asked, when did you know he was going to be great? And the mm. problem with Brock, and there's then there's a story. Well, when he yeah. dunked on me, when he was nine. <laughs> with Brock, there's no, if you watch, I remember watching Justin Herbert in college. And I remember seeing him make this throw from like one hash all the way to the other sideline. And you just go, that's the throw. And yeah, Brock doesn't have a that's the moment because sometimes your skill set, uh, I, Brock, I coined a, I'm going to quote myself. Uh, this is bad, but Brock, I, I was thinking about Brock a lot. And I said, you know, what's his superpower and his superpower is invisible. It's consistency, right? If you watch somebody for one game, you don't know if they're consistent or not. And when that's your greatest power, it has mm. to play itself out over weeks and years yeah. Not even like weeks, a baseball right? like a baseball player, like like a baseball player, and and it just like analytics, like these are numbers, these are decisions based based on a large group of numbers, and if if you're going to be the efficient guy, then we need a lot of numbers to believe that it's real, right? Sports history is littered with players that after two years you thought were going to be great and didn't turn out to be great, and so I think a lot of people get wrong the reason that people don't believe in Purdy. Now that we've gotten to the end of the year, <clears throat> one thing that's been quoted all year long is that it's about draft position, which of course it's a, especially his first year, that was a huge part of it. That just guys that get mm -hmm. drafted where he gets drafted, don't become starters, let alone stars. Mm -hmm. But I think enough time has passed now that in actuality, what prevents you from seeing what Purdy could be is, is his stature and his arm strength, right? Tua is a top five pick with similar stature and arm strength and people jumped on him immediately, immediately. I'll push back on that actually a little bit. I think that is something that was the case more so oddly before the UCL. Um, because you remember, remember that Seattle playoff game where it just seemed like he ran out of club. He, he bought time for himself and he, he had a, a play that wasn't so great where he really tried to let the big dog eat. And it seemed like he had more of those, I feel like that doesn't happen as much. I mean, there's clearly a difference. If Sam Darnold checks in the game and you get a sense of, oh, that's a that's a bullet relatively, but it doesn't, to my mind, look like the Tua throws. Or look, no, you've no, been doing I, this longer. I, I think you you're right. Me. I think you're right about that. I'm just saying. I think what I think if somebody has a mental block on Purdy, I think it's more about how he looks than where he was drafted mm. now at this point, right? Like, yeah. if Justin Herbert had been drafted last. Or somebody with his physical traits, yeah, you'd go okay. That kind of looks like Purdy. Just doesn't look like most guys that become star quarterbacks. 
it's a great point because Brett Favre was sort of, I wouldn't say scraping the bottom of the barrel or in the dregs of the NFL, but he wasn't exactly projected to become Brett Favre. But once he's Brett Favre, it's, I mean, just look at this guy. I mean, this is a swashbuckling, gunslinging, uh, good old boy quarterback, and he just sort of fits the mold. And there's something about Purdy that, the look of him and everything about him is this weird proxy battle too. It's just (laughs) that you can feel like there's almost this um, argument against the argument against the argument where among smart, savvy, snarky internet people, there's this hatred of these baseball players who are foisted on, on you as just being winners and scrappy and heady and everything else. And they had their mythology elevated perhaps due to luck and circumstance. And so it all gets wrapped up into that. It's less about just looking at the thing and analyzing the thing. And it's all about having a million internet arguments, which I'm obviously guilty of as well. Well, what complicates it too is what complicates every football thing is that it's, it's really hard to play quarterback. And, you know, some people will say that every quarterback is a system quarterback. There is no such thing as a quarterback that's not a system quarterback, which, okay, I'll accept, but I think it's a little disingenuous. I think what Mm. we're really talking about is could Josh Allen become great most places? Now, I have a buddy who played in the league who played for the Browns, who's adamant that Aaron Rodgers would not have become Aaron Rodgers if he'd gone to the Browns. So I'll let the guys who played in the league kind of, you know, have an opinion on that. Bernie Kosar said that. That's crazy. But yeah, my guy, Bernie, I was just texting. How did you guess? I text with Bernie all the time. But, um, but, you know, landline, (laughs) but you know, CTE is sad. No, sorry. Continue. I think that's really what, what complicates it is if you say, well, it doesn't matter how he'd be on some other team. He plays for Kyle. That is true. And it becomes irrelevant if he goes and wins three championships. Right. Nobody, nobody now says, well, well, how would Joe Montana have been without Walsh? We never have that argument, do we? Do you have that argument at bus stop? I mean, I, th- I do. I have that argument with myself because uh, The Blind Side by Michael Lewis, which in my opinion is one fantastic football strategy book and then one Hallmark movie that they made into a real movie that became a big hit and later became controversial. I prefer the former to the latter. It really did plant that seed in my mind of, well, how much was Joe Montana an invention of Bill Walsh? Because in the book, it would almost lead you to believe that, that uh, Walsh came up with these timing routes. And in the NFL, it was more of a league where the quarterback drops back and just, oh, okay, wait, who's open? That guy's open, throw it to him. And with Walsh, it was, you throw it before the guy even makes his break. And that was revolutionary. Now, the book argued that it happened in part due to Lawrence Taylor just murdering quarterbacks and there just had to be some sort of uh, necessity as the mother of invention evolution of the league. And it made me wonder whether Joe Montana was just the recipient of this innovation. But then I watched that famous drive from the 1982 Super Bowl and I just, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, oh, I, I, I get it now because I wasn't sentient for... Montana doing Montana things and you just look at the command that he had and the confidence he had leading them down the field at the highest leverage moment and uh, oh I get why every boomer worships this guy it makes sense to me now I had to see it I had to see it and 
I had to see that and I had to see uh, your YouTube clip of that incredible throw that he made after um, some poor play of his that yeah. you did such a great job, great job with. But I think we would have been having those conversations uh, if there was a Montana situation or, or if we had the technology we have today back then, we would have been having those conversations about him as my long winded roundabout way of saying it. Yeah, we also didn't, you know, he ascended with Bill Walsh. Walsh had mm. already been a very successful coordinator, but, you know, Kyle is much more established by the time Purdy arrives to him than Walsh is as a head coach by the time Montana arrives to him, right? So at the time, I, I would love to ask somebody in like 82, you know, we view Kyle as a top five coach. Did you view Walsh at that? At that you know, they, they mm. kind of ascended together in a way that is different here. Now, Purdy might help Kyle get his first Super Bowl, but... By the time Purdy arrives to Shanahan, Shanahan is viewed as a coach who can take middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks and make them winning quarterbacks, right? And that, in one way, helps Brock, but it also is part of the argument against Purdy that, well, he's doing replacement-level work here, right? And and people are saying, well, no, it's complicated work. This is not – he's not a uh, – this is not replacement-level work. This is nine mm -hmm. wins above – or whatever the war for Purdy would be, right? Um but so much of it is subtle that make it, it. He is a subtle player. I think it's why when he took off on the, for those who watched the last game, he had three big runs. Yeah, and I think those were kind of moments. Sometimes this stuff doesn't have to be logical. It's impossible for Brock to make a throw that looks so powerful that people go, "Wow, only a few guys can do that." But then when he broke out on those runs, which people that was something I think people thought he could not do, and then he did it. In a weird way, I thought those were those were more valuable moments for Purdy than really any throw that he's made. Because yeah. I think it's going to yeah. be hard for people to just be flat impressed with his just with his his arm because of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching people who don't watch the Niners every week try to come up with ways to contextualize or describe that just aren't true. Where before there was the game manager thing, and it was a funny meme. Because the whole idea of a game manager, for those who do not know and are new to football, is this quarterback who just kind of implements what the coach wants to do, um, minimal risk the entire time, and doesn't really make a play off schedule. The thing with Purdy is it's almost like he is at war with himself trying to become more like that. He's a wild, risk-taking, yes. roller coaster. I'd say similar to Romo in playing style. And you saw that on that crazy scramble where he just flipped it to Jennings. And that could have been a terrible play if it was just a little lower. And it's not, I mean, it's a funny, it's a funny thing because if he was more like with the initial reputation, a reputation that I think was almost erected to diminish, but if he was more like the thing that was designed to diminish him, the Niners might even be better off or Shanahan would probably like it better. So it's, um, it's very, it's very odd, but I, I totally agree with you on the, the running, uh, changing the conversation, because I think a lot of people who didn't watch the Niners every week, they just didn't know he could do that, number one. And then number two, it changed some minds because it should change some minds, because what that is right there is doing anything to win. I don't think he's doing that in week three, for instance. Um, I think he might he might just eat the sack or he might've just not done as many of those scrambles. But when it's the NFC championship game and the lions, I felt like were really crushing the Niners offensive line. And a lot of the bad first half was about that pressure. And so it's, yeah, okay. 
got to risk it, got to do what it takes. Maybe he should have slid, but he's not sliding. He was diving headfirst for the extra yard or two in those highest of leverage moments. And that earns respect because it should. Coaches don't get to be on the field. So even the coach with the best system, and clearly Shanahan has a great system. You know, I, I thought his, his move to draft Trey Lance was an indication that he understood that he needs a quarterback with a skill set that can make plays that he can't make. Right. The defense changes. Somebody falls down. A guy loses on a route. Somebody doesn't get blocked. And now you have to Draymond Green's favorite play. There is no play. Now you yeah. just have to make the play. And I thought drafting Trey Lance was an acknowledgement that if I'm going to beat Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, like that's not, you know, those are Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback with a great coach. Andy Reid has proven he can go win 14 games without Patrick Mahomes. But mm. Sometimes you need somebody to just make a play for you. And I think that's where Brock is clearly better than the other quarterbacks that Shanahan has had. Clearly, to me, he was immediately clearly better than Jimmy in that regard. And Kyle trusted it more. Kyle is not one to give up any control. John and I were just joking today. You know, some coaches don't call all the plays. Kyle Shanahan calls all the plays. Um, yeah. But you need a player that can, that can make up for the fact that as a coach, once the microphone and the, the speaker in the quarterback's headset goes off. Now you can't, there's nothing you can do other than call a timeout. And then, you know, you know, the other thing I would say about Brock is we're talking about Bill Walsh. Walsh had a good line in his book about Montana. He said, you know, the only, only a prison guard gets to say I'm in charge and people have to just acknowledge that he's in mm. charge, even if he's not a good leader. That's the only person who gets to announce that they're the leader and everyone just accepts that they're the leader. And he said Montana was really different than Steve Young. Like he, he, he said, and I didn't know this about Joe. He said Joe was not like alpha male guy that Steve Young was. Joe was, was very different. Joe was very much a lead by example guy. And I incorrectly thought that when the Niners drafted Trey Lance, it would be a great place for him because mm. there's all these great players around him. Not much will be asked of you. And all you got to do is just step in there, do the bare minimum. They'll take care of the rest. But a lot is asked of you, actually, if you're surrounded by great players, because the standard is yeah. very high. And it great takes point. a special kind of person to be able to, to handle that. And we'll see. If Brock Purdy's a Niner quarterback in 10 years, then then he'll get the same you know kind of legendary treatment that Montana does. Uh, probably. I mean, he's got to win, but you know what I'm saying in terms of yeah. the person and the leader. Um, but I, I think that's a pretty underrated thing about him uh, to walk into that locker room and you look around and you go, this is, this, this is not a place for somebody who's not sure of themselves, who doesn't know how to lead and is not confident. And that's tough. I mean, I mean, to what you're saying, will he be the quarterback in 10 years? Um, it's such a high variance game. That's what's so fun. It's so stupid in a way that one game determines so much, but that is the juice. That's what it's all about. And it's, well, we're going to have to start talking about Mahomes as greatest of all time if he wins this. And then if Purdy wins, I mean, just the Nick Wright was saying uh, if he lost the NFC championship game playing the way he did with the Packers, that they might move on from him. I thought that was crazy, but it is something some people think. And then there's a wild swing from that to if he wins the Super Bowl and looks great. And then we're talking, we're having a whole new conversation about 
this is year two. I mean, where's this career headed? Is this guy going to be a Hall of Famer? It's just an incredible gulf with this one player, um, which I'm quite thankful for. I don't think I've ever had as much fun watching football as I have following the Niners for the past two seasons. And I guess that's a question for you. Are you sensing that as somebody who is on YouTube, uh, even if the Niners haven't won a championship. I know this was a big conversation with you and Middlecoff today about how we act like the only thing is winning a Super Bowl, but there's this whole other thing, which is relevance. Um, yeah. You know, what is it like to have been riding this wave of uh, relevance that the Purdy Niners have brought? It's great. I mean, this franchise is as powerful as any in football when they are on. They are immediately a national brand and you know locally the bay area as you know has had big has had chunks like the giants had a chunk where they won three world mm. series the warriors had a massive chunk and you know they still got staff so they're they're still very relevant and the niners have had these chunks post super bowl and uh you know 30 years ago that that were massive now they haven't finished the job and won the super bowl but you know ultimately it's i think probably the debate that general managers and, and and owners have, which is if we go all in to try and win a championship, is that going to torpedo our next three years? And is that really worth mm -hmm. it? I, you, if you're a fan of a team, I don't necessarily blame an owner, but you don't, you know, if you're an owner, I'd kind of understand, like if you gave me the option, yeah. win one championship in a decade, miss the playoffs five times, be kind of bad half the time yeah. or be a playoff team for 10 years and go to three conference championship games. I'd go, Hmm. that's not terrible, you know, because yeah. when you're in the middle of it, you don't know you're not going to win the Super Bowl. The hope is a very, very powerful thing. I, 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 the journey is, we all talk about the destination, but the journey is what makes the money and the journey is what gets, yeah. you know, the storylines, like all that stuff is matters. So, um, no, but it's been awesome. Like, I, I think you're right about what you said about Brock. Brock is different than the way things were with Garoppolo closer to the way things were with Kaepernick, right? Kaepernick mm. was also very similar in the sense that there was this explosion of we're good out of nowhere. There was also yeah. the controversy of should he be playing Alex Smith? Are you allowed to lose your job due to injury? That was the big debate. Can you lose your job due to injury? And also, is this Ron Jaworski said this could be the greatest quarterback of all time <laughs> at the time. So that was also a supernova of content. Yeah. You know, you know you're, it's such a great point. I totally forgotten that Kaepernick was also this before there was any sort of political cultural valence to it, this incredible debate source, because he had these just that, that performance in green Bay was a superstar performance, but unless I'm mistaken, I don't believe he ever made a pro bowl. Um, and I don't think it, he did. I don't know. I don't think he did. I'd have to look. Yeah. I don't think he ever made a pro bowl, but he had a playoff moment where he looked dominant in a game against Aaron Rodgers on the other side of it. And he was running an Packers, offense that other people had not seen. That was another part of it. Mm, yeah. They're running a I pistol mean, formation that had only been really in college. Yeah. Well, and he had some of those obvious attributes when he threw it, he it would definitely whistle through the wind. I mean, it was, it was very impressive, but his career quite short lived. It's hard to know how sustainable it all is. Here's a question. Is Kyle Shanahan a genius? I, I throw that out there because I think part of what's happened downstream from the pretty extravaganza and people retroactively trying to contextualize something they didn't expect 
it's really inflated Kyle up a bit. He was thought to be a really good offensive coach. Um, but it is funny. You know, you look at that QB school, that YouTube channel with uh, JT O'Sullivan, he's very critical, it seems. I don't know what his assessment is of the offense writ large, but he's often criticizing this or that. And it's not like I watch Niner games and I don't know what I'm looking at, guy. So I don't know. But it's not like I'm going like, oh my God, they just really trick them. I, I don't think that frequently. What I think when watching the Kyle Shanahan offense is, man, that running game looks great. Like that's what I that's what I tend to think is that I mean, are we almost mistaking being a genius at having a running game for being more what we talk about with Andy Reid and just having the best schemes and being, you know, an overall offensive genius? Well, I think the best people to ask on that subject are the people that play for guys. And mm. the people that play for him do seem to think that he creates all players want is to be put in the position, the best position to succeed, right? To be what they believe they are capable of being. And there's a laundry list of players who believe that he does that. Now, I think we are hesitant to label genius when you're imperfect. But of course, everything is imperfect. Um, yeah. But I think if we just look at like the, the run of elite football that he has coached, it's you know, it's like the one percenter stuff. So maybe he'll get three Super Bowls and then it'll be easy to call him a genius. Maybe he never will. And we'll debate it forever with him. There's clearly, there are things that he, that, that are flaws, but Andy Reed for years was criticized for run, throwing, never running the football and bad clock management. Hmm. And he, I think if you go look at Andy's resume, it even Super Bowls aside, it's an incredible resume of winning and winning and winning and winning in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I think a, a genius is a creator. And if you look around the league right now, what has happened with his assistant coaches, not only does he spray assistants throughout the league to become head coaches and coordinators, but a lot of them do pretty well. You know, Belichick, maybe he's a genius in a different way. Belichick's assistants did not succeed. He did not give them a handbook that was mm. going to work other places. And maybe people would argue where Kyle is just a, Kyle's just a result of his dad that Mike mm. probably was a better coach than maybe he got credit for. And he's just doing what his dad does. But I've talked to, I talked to one of their players a few weeks ago who said the week is so challenging here. And this guy had played for multiple really good coaches. He said the amount that we are required to retain and learn in preparation for the game makes the game easy. Uh, so I, I think he's a pretty elite offensive coach. I think he does not fall into the trap that many play callers do, which is they ignore their defense and even their run game. I think a lot of play callers kind of, yeah. they'd rather throw the football. So I think he's the ideal coach. I'd want, if I were an owner, an offensive coach with a smash mouth style who values defense. He's a very good leader, clearly, you know? Um, so, you know, I, genius, I hate to throw that around, but I think he's a guy like most of them, like all of them that have flaws, but I think he's proven he is a, I think he's a top tier coach. So yeah, you, you, he deserves to be, you, he gets nitpicked a lot and deservedly so, mm -hmm. but. Hey, you know, what's funny is I feel like he gets nitpicked a little bit more locally than nationally. Although there was the whole has never come from behind yes, yes. whatever that stat was. And then two times in a row, it 
reverses. And I mean, again, a lot of this is small sample size stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. And I think about just these things, the games can turn on that completely change our entire conversation. Purdy, for instance, he has that great second half and then everybody's debating what really seemed to turn the game that, uh, what was it? A 54 yard completion to Ayuk that bounced off the defensive backs face. And that's, you know, but that one's a weird one. Okay. Here's my take. If I'm, if I'm being the Purdy evangelist in this particular talk and I get to do it for two weeks until he either falls on his face or basks in glory. Um, that one was an interesting one to me because it almost became part of the conversation. And the idea was it was lucky and I'm not sure how lucky that one was because the first part of it is it was an overthrow, but it wasn't really because if you watch the play, the defensive back bumps Ayuk backwards and the backline judge throws the flag. What confounds it a bit is that they picked up the flag, but they picked up the flag after it didn't matter anymore. So I don't know what went into that conversation, yeah. right? It might have been, you know, they do this in the NBA all the time where the ref is almost waiting to see if the layup goes in as to whether he's going to call the foul. Right. Um, why that would be part of your calculus in the NFL, I don't know. I think they might have had a conversation and said that, A, it was incidental contact or to right to the space. When I watched the replay, it looked like he put two mitts on Ayuk when bumping him back. And I don't know, it seemed like a DPI to me. So it could just as easily have been, it, it could have been a bunch of different things. It could have been a DPI. It could have bounced off the face mask and fallen to the ground harmlessly. It was a touchdown. It could have been intercepted. And this is football. There are just so many road forks just like that, that determine these big picture conversations about whether Dan Campbell is a maniac who uh, tanked his team season for going for it or whatever. It made the fact that they picked up the flag made me wonder if he was actually throwing a flag for offensive pass interference. Oh, see, I didn't even have that on the board right there. I, That's what know, it made maybe. me. It, it made me. I wondered if they, if that official thought I, you created the contact. Mm. I don't know. I do agree with your premise. It wasn't a bad throw. It wasn't it was one fine. you necessarily get credit for. You didn't hit him no, in no, either. No, it but. was lucky. It was lucky in the sense that he got 50 yards or whatever tacked onto a statistical production, right? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that part's more the lucky part. It wasn't like a bad decision that he's lucky, you know, didn't turn into an interception. And maybe you, if you're an optimist, you go, aggression is rewarded. And that's that right. It's just one of those that's times. Right. And it, and it what in May, May's asked, well, why would you pick it up then? Uh, because I don't think it was offensive pass interference. I, I wonder if what happened was there, there was a conversation. Because remember, there was a long conversation. Yeah. And I wonder if somebody said, oh, are you sure? And he's like, eh, I'm not sure. No. Nah. Or the other <laughs> guy says, ah, I think the DB created that. And then they and then they pick yeah. it up. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I think you're right. I think Shanahan, for the most part, their passing game has not erred on the side of aggression to that degree over the top throws like that. Right. The Niners, yeah. this is where there's another debate with, with like Purdy As you look at the analytic, the numbers and you say, look at these air yards, this guy's as good as anybody. But when you watch him, they don't happen the same way that Dante Culpepper no. used to throw to rant. They're not Randy Moss. They're not over the top throws like that throw was. That throw was really an outlier for them. Yeah, no, it's the, it's what the Rams used to do back in the day with that deep in. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah. 
that that sort of play, which scares the hell out of me. By the way, I would, I don't know. As as this is There's just a lot of people there. Be, yeah, because of the way football, we don't get the Madden angle, right? So you're just following the flight of the ball on television. And look, when when they really air it out, it's exciting. And you're going at some level, you kind of know that if it's intercepted, it's almost like a punt. You know, it could theoretically be run back, but it's, you know, but when they whip it into the middle, there is that sense of, oh, that could be going the other way. <laughs> you really you really brace for it in those moments. And it's such yes. a relief when it's caught versus, you know, when it's, when it's aired out. And because Purdy doesn't throw it as hard, that moment lasts longer. <laughs> yeah. That anticipation yeah. of, I don't know what's off the screen yeah. until the camera yeah. moves. Who's over there, you know, <laughs> and it might be Debo with no one within 30 yards of him. Yeah. Or it might be Juwan Jennings with four people around him. You just don't know. It's, that's why NFL films slow motion is just one of the greatest things to happen to the league because it slowed, it, it let you really dive into these things that happen so fast and are so complicated. Well, I, God, I think it was uh, Dawadoff of the New Yorker has this quote. I often quote and I'm paraphrasing, which is, is there anything Americans care about more and know less about than NFL football? Um, and I feel that way all the time. Um, <laughs> poor Maze. Maze is just filling the chat right now with all sorts of questions, and he he wants to get in on this so bad. And he's talking about juice check. That's another example where if you were to say, "Hey, what about Shanahan? Do you gripe about?" I would say juice juice check going on routes would be one of the things that I gripe about. And I've seen a few Purdy interceptions where I'll watch the replay and. Juice will be out there and he'll either be easily covered or ignored, creating more traffic elsewhere. But lo and behold, in the NFC Championship game, there are just two. I mean, he he came up huge as a receiver, the he did. slow white Harvard fullback. And so what do I know? I'm not Kyle Shanahan. He's um, yeah, I mean, I think he's one of he's one. We don't talk about the, There was a time when he was like a big topic because he was the only guy. And now they've got so many weapons, they've gotten better. But he is one of the kind of hallmarks of of Shanahan. Here's a position that nobody in the league used anymore mm -hmm. until I found a guy that could play it the way I wanted to play it. You know, and yeah. and I remember this year they signed a guy from Oregon State named Jack Coletto, whose nickname in college was like mm. the Sledgehammer because he played linebacker and he'd play fullback and he'd play on special teams. <laughs> and people are like, well, is this guy going to replace use check? And I, well, probably not is the answer because there's not a lot of guys like that guy yeah. around the NFL. I know because I watch, I don't see that many guys like him. There's a couple other fullbacks, but not guys that make the catches that he made in the NFC championship game. Or who just get the team where they need to be. I mean, that was talked about in the top yeah. 100. I think he was a hundredth ranked player. He was. And guys were explaining that, hey, sometimes we're in the wrong play and he knows and he'll just correct it. And that's the sort of thing that that you can't see and that isn't so obvious. And there's just that great mystery of what the hell is going on going on out there in football. And yet we're going to all yell at each other and debate it and have our proxy debates. Right now we're having the debate about the Lamar Jackson debate. That's what I've noticed. I think it's in in that iteration at this part of the week where... 
I'm watching people who typically defend him then say, we can't just defend him. We have to talk about this. And that's also fun. That was a bizarre game to me, by the way. You were defending him. You were a Lamar Jackson apologist on your last on your last live stream. You look at me quizzically. You know what you did, guy. You know you what defended did I say? this guy. Uh, you said, who does Quote he me. have to lean on? Who does he have oh, to yeah, lean I did on, say John? That. I did say that. Who does he have to lean on? Yeah. Um, obviously a great player, uh, a really fun player, easy guy to root for, but it was strange. I didn't watch the entirety of that game. Um, I had to uh, go to the farmer's market with my kid. That's very necessary information for the listener to know. The Berkeley, um, the, 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 the one you're near the university, which one? Not that one. I will not reveal my tendencies, guy. <laughs> I'll be swarmed by adoring fans. I won't You're even right. be able to get sorry. A, a Tangelo sample if I reveal that I was at the Moraga Farmer's Market. Oh, oh God damn it. I can't believe I, oh, I can't believe I let that one you slip You have to set right up a there. booth. Mm, that's, uh, ah, yeah, bleep that out, Maze. Nobody can know. Um, you know, it's like John Lennon saying that he lives at the Dakota. It can't happen. Uh, anyway, uh, where was I? What was I saying? But Lamar whenever Jack. I was watching, yes, it was either a check down or a bomb. And I'm not sure if that's the best way to do offense. That's what I'm throwing out there. That, that to me was worthy of critique. I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know what that was about. I know everybody seized on how they weren't running the ball, but it was odd to watch the position played that way where it was, it was like James Harden. Everything's a layup or a three pointer and it got a James Harden playoff result. Yeah. And he also missed a couple of really, he missed a couple of layup throws and he made some awful Awful decisions. I am. I. I think the debate about whether or not he's good, he can, he wins in the playoffs, is a a one thousand percent fair debate because he hasn't. He hasn't done it. Yeah. So I think it's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, it's an odd sort of debate, though. The whole it, it does seem to be like the last resort of your take often when it comes to NFL punditry. Because there's only one team that ends up winning the Super Bowl that if you were disproven, if I was a doubter yes. of Lamar Jackson, then I can kind of I can go, well, I mean, he can't get all the way. <laughs> right. But it's but it's but it's how it looks is that's we get into mm. like how it how it looked in that game it was not great. Yeah. Like he made a lot no. of he made a lot of uh, bad decisions. He certainly did. I think that there is reason to have some doubts and it seemed like it was just so set up for that team to have a run. They have a historic defense and they held Mahomes and the chiefs to 17 points. You know, it should have, it should have happened for them. So what is your expectation? Are you in prediction mode? Like, where are you? How would you bet this? I am terrified of the chiefs. I don't have a lot of confidence for house of Strauss's favorite team. Um, you know, talk me into it. You know, why, why we, we started with this question, but let's, let's round about to it. Why, why okay. should I be confident? Well, I'll start by saying that my job is not to talk you into this. Okay. So mm, let's, let's start with, okay. if I'm afraid of the well, chiefs, no, of I'm going to be it, afraid of the chiefs. All right. Uh, I'm not going to pretend Alex, like I'm not afraid of the chiefs. <laughs> Alex Smith already has you terrified. So just so pretend I, you're a different person. I've been thinking a lot about this for the last, for like 45 minutes before we started. Cause I, I did not start mm. the day with, here's exactly what I think is going to happen in the game. But one thing I've been thinking about since I heard Alex Smith say that basically he thinks the Niners are in trouble because the only type of game they can play is a shootout with the Chiefs because the Chiefs are going to score at will on their defense. And just before we jumped on this, I was thinking I need to go back and watch last year's Niners-Chiefs game because my working theory on, on 
at this moment in time, almost two weeks till the game, mm. is that the type of teams that really give the 49ers defense problems are teams with individual players who are very fast, very strong, or very athletic, very difficult athletically to match up with because their secondary is not an athletically superior group or, or a great group. They lost their safety. Their best athlete in the secondary is a, is a rookie. Um, their cornerback, Mooney Ward, is good, but he's more a big physical guy. He's not a, a fast kind of shut Deion Sanders type. And that the Chiefs don't, actually, they're not, they're not built with like superstar guys like that. Now, they do have very good players. Travis Kelsey is a perfect guy of like plays in the gray area. Rashi mm. Rice is second only to Debo Samuel in uh, yards after the catch per catch. They're the only two guys in the league that averaged over eight. So he is mm. the type of guy that can hurt them. I, uh, you know, e- even their running back, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, like he's he's quick. He's he's fast. Jameer Gibbs-esque, right? But but the but the Lions actually, from like a weapon standpoint, scared me more. Yeah. Now, but they have Patrick Mahomes, and yeah. the thing about Mahomes, he does not turn the ball. He does. This team doesn't like fumble it to you. They don't throw it to you. You know, they're not going to make kind of the freshman mistake that that the Lions made. But I think teams that are more, uh, uh, I think teams that are more like star player based have a better have a better opportunity yeah. against the Niners. Now that well, ignores that they have Mahomes, but I like I I right now believe the Niners are going to win this game. Mm, wow. Okay. Well, that gives me some some good feeling uh, to what you said about the Lions. I felt like their reputation, talent wise, is just not aligned with the Niners, but their talent is totally on par with the Niners in the skill well, positions. And, the difference being golf, right? Golf is not yeah. that guy. Just doesn't win the Super Bowl anymore, right? He can't get mm. away from you. You can't yeah. create and you're playing the ultimate creator now in Mahomes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm going through it. I know Mangini said that, um, th- it was a loss of ego for the Ravens that they didn't bracket Kelsey, that they didn't double team Kelsey. And it was this, Oh, well we can just play him straight up. And what happened, happened. He had this incredible game. So maybe there's just a strategic adjustment, given the lack of weapons the Chiefs have, to just give more attention to Kelsey, um, and that will be a fix. So perhaps that's the way to go about it. I haven't gone into the All-22 and really grinded uh, to see if that's what needs to be done or how it would be done. Um, I just know that this defense is... It's scaring me, guy. I mean, what the hell's going on? It just seems like... These teams, they can just get six yards of carry every time, like whatever they want it, at least based on the small sample size of the last two games. Yeah, they've got good defensive backs. They're going to be without at least one of their better pass rushers, Charles Amenahu, who's hurt. He's out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last time that I was played kind of the elite secondary type teams, the Ravens and the Browns. Um, so that would give you reason to be concerned. But... Um, I think they'll be able to create enough offense against the Chiefs defense. You know, I I I think that uh what generally scares me for the Niners is when you have a creative quarterback with players that are hard to cover. So you got guys running running wide open. It's what it's what Russell Wilson dominated them with, right? He could create yeah. even though this is a different roster, it's I think they have a similar weakness. Russell could create and he had guys like Golden Tate who knew how to find ways to get open. Yeah. And um 
of course, Kansas City can do that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think Niners should be able to score with them. I, I do think they should be able to score with them. Yeah, you know, Alex Smith terrifying us, notwithstanding. Um, okay, I'm talking myself into some confidence. I'm not necessarily going to travel uh, to the game, but okay, I feel I feel a little better. I'm glad you talked me into it. Um, well, you listened to the last podcast I did. I might just start doing this as an experiment. I asked Camille Foster if he believes aliens exist. This might be my version of Tim Kawakami's What's Your Favorite Restaurant. Guy, do you believe aliens exist? Why, why not? Go. I was thinking about that this morning. What if Ethan asked me <laughs> if I think aliens exist? What do I think? Mm. Right? When I've seen like the reports, the UFOs, and like what what is that thing on the horizon? I go, yeah, I, 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 I buy that. At mm. the same time, I also think that to say, well, we exist, so shouldn't somebody else exist? Uh, has the the flaw in that is look how freaking complicated it was for us to exist. Like it's a good the, point. the butterfly effect of I don't even know how many it, trillions, not probably a big enough word, to yeah. get to this result makes me makes me think that we probably don't appreciate how hard it is. How, how much we battled to be here, yeah. Ethan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, the reason I lean aliens exist okay. is just because I don't ever want to be naive. Mm. So I protect against naivete by saying, yeah, like I don't want to be the guy when the aliens show up that goes, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> it's just the prediction that I don't want to be wrong. So I feel like it's safer to say yes, because then you can, even if they never show up for a million years, you can never say for sure that yeah. you're wrong about them. Um, the fact that we yeah. don't know how big the universe is, you know, also, I think probably we have no idea where the end of it is. So I think that probably works in the favor of, of other life. And I'd also say we exist, but like, so do dinosaurs. Those are two different things. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't just have to be us that exists. It can be like a colony of ladybugs, you know, that exists mm. somewhere else. Does that count yeah, like aliens? At, at, well, yeah. At what point is a life form something we would consider aliens? That's a part of the conversation I didn't even really consider. I mean, people get very abstract with this and they go, well, it's probably something we can barely even conceptualize. And it could be like um, a, a, an octopus with a floating brain in the ether. But when you talk about like a bug, that would be very unsatisfying. If that yeah. was the one life form that was out there was like a bug. That would be not... Cool. I'll say it's like this in my mind. Um, similar to the regular season 49ers, if they're winning, they're winning by a lot, right? I feel like if one alien exists, then there are a lot of them out there. Yeah. That's my yeah. intuition on this question. Why don't we, we always assume they're smarter than us though. What if they're dumber yeah. than us? So what would we do to make that assumption? <laughs> well, we're just, we're, we're self self-loathing that we're just, you know, we're afraid <laughs> that they'll come conquer yeah. us. But what if yeah. they're just like, uh, Golden retrievers, you know. Mm, mm, yeah, like, we're not like we're not like Kyle Shanahan. We don't want to call the plays. We want somebody to take it off our hands at some level. And we're hoping there's somebody smarter that we can learn from, or just not even learn from, but they just do stuff if they don't kill us. That's always the big fear people have is that they'll show up. They're smarter than us, and that, that's the most self-loathing thing. Guy is this assumption that. They're smarter than us, and they're obviously going to kill us. <laughs> well, no, no. They're smarter than us, and they're obviously going to hate us. 
Yes. They're going to see no purpose to keeping us around. Yeah. We can't even build their pyramids. Yeah. We need a pep talk. We We do do need a leader. We need a leader. Can I ask you one question before we go? You can ask me as many questions. I was going to wrap up, but I like getting asked questions. I know. If if you or Maze don't have anywhere to be, I've been thinking... For years, I've been thinking about this, and it, the topic only gets bigger and bigger. And you, you, ha- you wrote about this recently. Um, uh, you said baseball, appro- baseball's approach prevents you from any individual moment, mm. right? Like, like the nature of one sixty two means nobody does the Mike and the Mad Dog thing where you just argue about yeah. why did he go to Vasquez in the seventh <laughs> inning, right? <laughs> he should have gone to Henderson, right? That like people yeah. used to argue about baseball that way. And I've thought for a long time, and this is going to, I mean this, this is not, when I say the word ruined, I don't mean it in the way we normally mean it, but like that analytics ruined baseball from being that thing. And you have to accept if, if you have the option to be smarter or dumber, you choose smarter. Yeah. Right. If you're, if your team can be smarter and your GM can be smarter, you choose smarter over dumber. You'd rather not waste $180 million on a free agent if you can not. Right. But everybody, Billy Beans sprayed out all these Billy Beans across baseball. And so teams start stopped making like really stupid trades because you couldn't convince some guy, you know, you knew now his spin rate is down on a slider. So there's probably something wrong with his, you know, he's not going to have an elbow blowout soon. And, and I was thinking about it a lot this week because of the Dan Campbell discourse, right? Analytics first gut. Did he do the right thing? Did he play the right percentages? One side says, well, you know, even the percentages, there's moments to play the game. The other side says, well, if you, if you don't play the percentages always, then you should play them never like it. And, um, and then I was, I'm reading Rick Rubin's book. Have you reading Rick mm. Rubin's book? Have you seen this book? No, I'm, I like his interview style though. I enjoy yeah. his uh, podcast. So I read this last night. He wrote, uh, it's not unusual for science to catch up to art eventually. Mm. And, and that made me think about Dan Campbell and like, you know, the idea that sports being a little dumber is better because, because it's, it's simpler. And if everybody makes no mistakes, then what are we going to debate? And I thought about this with, here's one other thing I'll add to it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I thought about it with baseball a lot. Like baseball is better off being faster speed the game up than it was. There was too much dead time. But if you could have the same amount of baseball, like games took the same amount of time and you could have one thing, one of these two things, you tell me which one would be better for the sport. One is managers never argue with umpires, but we get every single call correct. Or Mm. we don't have any reviews and we sometimes miss calls in the world series, but Managers are out there kicking dirt on umpires and umpires are screaming at him and they're nose to nose. And yeah. what would be better for baseball today? All right. So there's the, there's the end of that. For me, easily the second one um, right. for a variety of reasons, including I like the art of the catcher trying to trick the umpire and that will just be taken <laughs> right. out of the game right. and the value of catcher, which is already not exactly a forward facing position, greatly diminished. And people could say, well, that's a form of cheating or why would you want calls to be wrong? Calls are wrong a lot of the time. We still enjoy the games. They, they missed calls constantly when I was a kid and the sports were pretty popular and we all, we all lived. It was part of it. It's this imperfect human soup. And that quote that you said 
from Rick Rubin of Science Catching Up to Art. That's a fascinating quote because it, it almost reminds me of Matthew McConaughey's character in True Detective that the greatest sin of humanity is we became too self-aware. This sort of once we figure out the glitch in the game, we break the game. Um, and there was this moment where people were hoping the Grizzlies in basketball provided this contrasting style of ground and pound back mm. to the basket, but it was all cope. It just, it was a less efficient way to do the job. And we wanted that to still exist. We wanted that mix of styles, but it's just so that three points is more than two. And people, a lot of people don't like the aesthetic direction of basketball recently where there's so much three-point shooting. It's so fast-paced, and these are all smart things to do, but it's not, It's it doesn't make for better art. And it's hard to really know what to do when something like that happens. There's been a lot of debate with basketball of do people not play defense anymore in the NBA? I think people play defense in the NBA. I think the players are remarkably skilled. But this is just the direction of refinement and optimization. Um, and I think the only thing you can do as a league, maybe, is to try to create rules to get it more in alignment with what it used to look like, which people prefer. With baseball, it's almost a little different because the issue with baseball is that it is so perfected in terms of knowing who's good versus who's bad. Um, and that's this whole other level to it where you're not you're not confident in just having a take on a guy because it's all been figured out mathematically and you feel like an idiot. You feel like if you express an opinion on it, then a bunch of people are going to yell at you that you didn't do the progression properly. And you know, you don't understand that that Mike Trout isn't a choker or whatever. So um, I think it's a fascinating topic. This idea that knowledge is good, but at a certain level of collective knowledge, we break this man-made thing called a sport. I mean, that's the thing that's taken for granted sometimes is that this is an invention of ourselves. And there's almost something paradoxical about how we can invent a game and then not completely even understand aspects of it or who the best player in this thing we've created is. To me, is just so fascinating. One of the reasons why, even if I want to be a pretentious intellectual and write about all these other topics, I keep coming back to sports. Uh, there's just something about it that that uh, draws me to it. I don't know the, if I answered any of your questions. No, so I, I, I don't have the answer either, and I don't want to sound anti-smarter. You know, I've always felt like if you have the technology, if the fan at home knows whether or not it was a completion or an incompletion, then of course you have to get it right in the football game. But this goes back to the conversation about the journey or the destination. The point of playing any season is not we have to know who the best team is. It's just to yeah. play the season. And then at the end of it, somebody wins. It doesn't really matter who it is that wins. As long it's as somebody balance. wins. It's a balance, though, because in baseball, this is entertainment the is the point. In baseball, though, it's entertainment, but there's got to be a sense of legitimacy. The problem in baseball, yeah. Yeah. I think, all these teams getting in and then potentially making the World Series when they weren't a good regular season team. It was a funny thing. I had Klosterman on. We were talking about it. And what was it? It was the Diamondbacks versus the... Uh, I'm trying to remember who the other team in the World Series was. Um, they both were kind of whatever. <laughs> Mays, the Yankees. I wish it was. Uh, I, I stopped watching when the Yankees <laughs> got eliminated last year. And I love baseball. Uh, yeah. Uh, God, why can't I remember? I don't remember uh, either. I'll look it up. Well, that was the problem, wasn't Braves? it? Was was it Braves? Braves? 
No, if it was the Braves, oh, I would have remembered. Right. It wasn't the Braves. The range, the Rangers. So oh, the yeah. Rangers oh, Bochi. Of course, it was Bochi. Oh yeah. Um. So the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, and it's this strange thing where I, you know, my first initial reaction to those teams that were not great regular season teams is that I don't believe either team is the best team. So therefore, I find fault with this playoff system. Right. It doesn't feel real to me. I don't like it. But then I realized something when I thought about it more so, which is that whoever wins the World Series, it's a little bit random. So what I really was cursing and bemoaning wasn't that this was selecting for something other than the best team. It's that it couldn't sufficiently lie to me and make me feel like it was the best team. If you have four teams that are great regular season teams in a playoff, I can at least come up with some sort of sense of legitimacy because these were all great teams. I can construct a narrative in my mind that, well, they were great. They did this thing great and they ultimately won it. Yeah. Small sample size, but the cream rose to the top. Baseball has too wide a field um, and is too random in its results as is hockey. And because of that guy, the noble lie of best is uh, shattered. And so, yes, it's entertainment. Yes, we don't have to get it perfect, but I do think that we need to get it aligned enough with performance to where I can pretend that it was perfect without being perfect, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, I think the other problem, though, is that baseball has become such a difficult sport for a casual fan to have a national perspective on. And I think mm -hmm. one of the reasons is the the loss of, like, you know, the starting pitcher who goes eight innings and makes $130 million, you know, the old 130 million yeah. and is the star. Like those guys are the biggest stars, right? It's appointments. Bumgarner pitches Thursday. Lincecum pitches Wednesday night. Like I'm want to make sure I'm watching that game. When we were kids, you went to a baseball game. The first thing you did was look at the schedule and figure out who's pitching that day. Uh, and then you would hope that bonds wasn't taking a day off too. But, um, you know, I think that that has hurt the sport. And and again, like I don't fault any of the guys. Yes, I would much rather spend forty million on three guys, and if one of them gets hurt, no biggie, than one hundred and fifty million on one guy. Like I totally get it. And that's where I you go back to like sometimes as stupid as it sounds, being a little dumber. Did you see Peter yeah. Thiel is invested in this? Um, like uh, 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 performance enhancing drugs are okay. Olympics. No, it's There's like some Olympics. He wants to do where I, drugs are okay, right? I I know that he doesn't care about sports by reputation. Um, that was what I heard through some people. I don't know why I learned that about him. Oh, but I that didn't is, know that. I mean, that's a very interesting. That's very interesting. Then I, I it, it is interesting. That. But it made me think, just like you know, this this is a similar comp. We we want it to feel like you made the decision because you learned through your experiences that this is where I go for it on fourth down. Mm. Not because as you said, you, you cracked the code. I think that's at the heart of like this argument is you, where the information came from, I think matters to people, right? If, if Van mm. Gogh created a coloring book, a paint by number coloring book, and now we can all just paint like Van Gogh, mm. then we go, uh, why do we need Van Gogh? We should get yeah. back for, for a fraction of the price. I can paint Starry well, Night. People want it to come from a person. I mean, not yeah. to be crass about it, but there are these conversations about AI porn. And I don't necessarily think that I think human beings want it to be a human being on this base visceral level. Uh, it's a crazy topic. I mean, this this whole topic of 
But then, I mean, that's one direction to take this on the running back conversation, which is totally different. Yes. About it's an instance of science catching up to art. Yes. It's more efficient to have running back by committee, but it was more fun to root for Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders and LaDainian Tomlinson, just like with the pitchers. Um, And it's what do you do? I mean, how do you prevent that when what's smart ultimately undermines your star making system that. Uh, at least with football, you had the quarterback, but it really did crush baseball to diminish the pitcher. Yeah. And now the flip side of that would be the good news now is your football team's running back gets hurt. Your salary cap is not so demolished that you can still be good, right? That's a positive yeah. of, of being smarter. There are a lot of positives to being to doing things smarter and more efficiently. Yeah. So I'm not yeah, arguing I mean, against it, but I, I do think that's, I've just, I think that's the heart of what's going on with the Dan Campbell argument. And I think it's been a problem for baseball. It makes it harder to argue about baseball, which is what you, part of what you wrote about earlier this year that I think is, it's important. It's, it's important for it to be easy to just who's good, who's bad, good guy, bad guy. Load load management. I can't believe we didn't bring up that example in the NBA. I mean, it's probably very smart right now. They're trying to, it's so funny. The Adam Silver in the NBA, they're coming out with these studies that I don't believe by the way. Um, that actually it doesn't help to rest in between games and it does. No, no, it does. But we don't want that. We want everybody being naive and stupid and playing 40 minutes (laughs) because if everybody plays 40 minutes, then we're kind of good because everybody's got the same disadvantage. But once some people smartly figure out that that's not a good idea and that you should pick your spots and don't play Jokic in Denver when it's on ABC for the world to see, um, it's this problem of game theory. It's this problem of diffusion of responsibility or whatever other psychological term that we can, we can reference right there. Um, and it's a problem of being too smart, which as we're discovering, I suppose, undermines the art. Well, if football went to fully guaranteed contracts, that'd be better for players. It'd mm. be it, it, one of the reasons football, there's a lot of reasons football really works, right? Like a very consistent, they've had a schedule that is built into us, right? Sundays are for God and football. Like we all know, right? Church on Sundays or synagogue on Saturdays or, or Friday the Moraga, Moraga farmer's market or the you farmer's know, for some market. Of us. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, there's a million reasons, right? Which I know you've investigated when you talk about ratings. Um, but one of them is that the players have to treat every game like their careers are on the line because for Mm. the vast majority of them, it is on the line this year. My, my career could begin. I I have to run through a wall. I've got to play today. I cannot take, nobody takes games off. Right. Except for the last week of the season. So that works in football's favor. That, that level of, I must play. You can see it when you watch people play a sport, you go, that guy really Mm. wants to play today. Right. Well, who do fans love yelling at in baseball? The dude jogging to first base. You bum. Right. Mm-hmm. Guys that hustle. It's like, oh, yeah, look at that guy. Look at that guy hustle. Yeah. And it's football really benefits from it being a sport where you, your career and maybe your life is on the line today when this whistle yeah. blows. It's so taken for granted. But yeah, that's the biggest thing people want. There's a mini conversation about how the hell did women's college basketball beat TNT? How did Heat Celtics get fewer viewers than LSU against South Carolina? And one reason is that I think those ladies are really want to win. And it's a big deal to them to be on ESPN. 
and they're trying their hardest. And that's just not, that's not what people get right now out of the regular season for the NBA or even the MLB. And People are in it for that. That's a lot of what draws them to the sport. And they don't even necessarily always need to be watching the best players at it. They just want to see people who give a shit. And that's, I guess that's almost taboo to talk about in media. You're not supposed to uh, say that the effort level sometimes waxes and wanes, but no, it's a big deal and it, it translates and people can feel it. Yeah. You don't want to watch a concert from a guy pacing himself for the tour. No, no. Um, like God, Garth went hard last night. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Has somebody made an analogy between Taylor Swift and Kelsey as performers? Because that's the one I think unt unturned stone of that whole hype extravaganza right there. Um, I do have to go to uh, pick up my son from school, but uh, guy, uh, give us just your platforms, your channels. Uh, tell us uh, plug away because you've been doing an incredible job and uh, we'd love to find you in every incarnation. Uh, you can check out the uh, Haberman and Middlecoff YouTube channel, uh, the podcast. Let's see, I'll be, uh, when is this podcast out? When is this out? Depends, maybe an hour sometimes. Oh, no, it'll, I'll, be, I'll be calling Utah, Colorado on Saturday afternoon Ooh. with your boy, probably Earl Watson. And uh, it's good, good, good basketball guy. Good mind, Best, smart guy. Anyway, um, yeah, that's what's coming up for me. Well, I always, uh, I, I like a deep, Instagram. I like a deep, yeah, I like a <laughs> X and Instagram. You can get the, the guy content. You're doing great on YouTube. I've got to learn from you. And, uh, thanks so much. This is, uh, it's not been too long. I guess it's been too long since we hung out at the Tilted Kilt, but we should have done this earlier and we'll, uh, gladly have you back whenever you can make the time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Good to talk to you, man.